0: So we want to uh, start with the question of, let me back up and say, my name is Josh Hampton. I am a church planner with my dad right there. You can you raise your hand? We are church planners to Missoula, Montana. Um, and one of the things that we have really honed in on is neighboring to our people. Uh, that's one of the things that's kind of, we've experienced success with. And we want to kind of share some of that with you guys uh, this morning. I want to ask you guys, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? Um, what does it mean to be a good neighbor to your people? But more importantly, what I really want to focus on this morning is who is our neighbor? Uh, who is it that we're supposed to truly love? Uh, the great commandment says we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, so who is this neighbor that Jesus is talking about? Uh, we teach our kids in junior church, we church, children's church, whatever you call it. I'm sure you guys do the same thing. You're supposed to love everybody, love everybody, love everybody, right? And, and, and we try to, we tell our kids to love everybody, but this is a question that's kind of asked all throughout the New Testament. Who is my neighbor? Are we really supposed to love everybody? As most of us in here in the ministry, we know we are supposed to love everybody. Uh, but sometimes that can get daunting and tasking. So who is it that Jesus is talking about that we are supposed to love our neighbor? And, and your answer really gives a lot about the depth of your faith, I believe. It tells really who you are and where you're at. Uh, so who is it that I'm supposed to love? Um, And I want to avoid trying to preach this morning, but everything that we do has a biblical backbone to it. Uh, We don't just do a a neighboring process because we think it's a good idea. We do it because Jesus did it. Uh, So I'm just going to kind of walk you guys through that. And I'm sorry if it's a little bit preachy this morning for 9 a.m. on a Monday. uh, But that's just kind of where we're at and and why we do uh, what we do. Uh, And I think there's no better example than the Great Samaritan story. Um, Now, we quickly... (laughs) And I'm not going to completely rehash all of this this morning, but I want to focus on the front of the Good Samaritan and the back of the Good Samaritan. I understand you guys really know the parable story, but I want to focus on when the attorney comes in to the room. And, you know, we know the attorney comes in to trap Jesus. He has an agenda. He has a plan. He's not there to truly just ask Jesus questions. He wants to... Uh, really trap Jesus. He has an ax to grind with Jesus. Uh, he wants to set him up for failure. And he th- I, I believe that the young lawyer probably thinks that's exactly what he's going to do. He really thinks he's got Jesus exactly where he wants him. Uh, so we're going to pick up, and if you have your Bibles, uh, if not, no worries. Luke chapter 10, I'm going to pick up in verse 25, and I'm just going to kind of walk through verse by verse. Uh, hopefully it does not offend anybody. I'm reading out of an ESV Um, If it does offend you, I apologize. I'm sorry. That's just all I had in my backpack this morning. Uh, So we're going to be in chapter 10 of Luke, verse 25, and it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I believe instantly, Jesus is all-knowing. We understand that. But just from a human standpoint, I believe Jesus instantly recognizes, okay, This guy's up to something, right? He is up to absolutely no good. Uh, He's an expert in the law. He's going to show me how to do it. So Jesus, as he so often does, he stands there patiently. He receives the question. He does not take the bait from the attorney. Not only is Jesus all-knowing, Jesus is a smart guy in general, right? He's a smart dude. So he doesn't take the bait because the bait's there. It's like, you know, what's going on here? Jesus doesn't take the bait. And in faithful Jesus fashion, he answers his question with a question. Uh, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't respond to the question. He's going to give a question in return. Did you know Jesus, according to uh, most scholars, they said it's 40 times more likely for Jesus to respond with a question than it actually is with an answer. That's just Jesus' MO, right? So Jesus is giving a little bit of Jesus. So he kind of pushes it back to the lawyer, right? He says, hey, I- I'm not going to just answer that. So in verse 26, he says, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? So and then in verse 27 and he said you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And I don't want to quite read the rest of that 27 yet. So after 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 hearing this question and then in verse 28 he said and he said to him or excuse me in the end of 27 and, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he goes through this list of stuff and then Jesus says and love your neighbor as yourself. So after after uh, hearing this question, that the, the young lawyer doesn't hesitate. Lawyers are answer men, right? They are paid to have answers. They're paid to have knowledge. So he doesn't hesitate. He said, hey, I, I know exactly what you're supposed to do. You are supposed to love your neighbor. And after Jesus said, after Jesus hearing this, he said, hey, Jesus said, hey, you are correct. You're absolutely right. You are supposed to love your neighbor. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't laud him and say, now, I've got some more miracles to be doing down the road. He doesn't say, you know, go, you, now you can pass, go. You can collect your $200 just because you know this. He continues on the conversation. Jesus doesn't just congratulate him for knowing this. He doesn't just say, hey, collect your prize. He continues and pushes the attorney. And then we pick up in verse 28, and he said, And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. So the the attorney understood it. He knew what he was supposed to do. But Jesus said, do this and you will live. It's not enough to just know that we're supposed to love our neighbors. We have to know, we have to actually love our neighbors. Jesus reminds us in his continuing conversation with the lawyer that faith is not attained by the things that we know. It's not attained by the things that we say. It's not attained by the beliefs that we have. But it's found when we actually live them out every single day. As pastors in the room, it's found when we do them Monday through Saturday, not just preach about them on Sundays, when we actually do what we preach. It's when we take our words and actually give them flesh and legs and put air into the words that we speak. That's when we find life in Jesus. And that's what Jesus was telling the young lawyer. Jesus says, hey, young lawyer, if you want to inherit eternal life, do this. And that is when you will truly live now that lawyer i think at this point in the stage he probably had he was in disbelief right he thinks he's walking into the room he thinks he's got this guy exactly where he wants him and he begins backpedaling right he begins frantically searching for an abort button like how can i get out of this how can i get out of this situation i no longer want to be here and then in verse 29 we read but he desiring to justify himself said to jesus well jesus who who is my neighbor You want me to love it? Who is this neighbor guy that you're talking about? You see the key part there. He wanted to justify himself to Jesus. He's looking for a loophole. He's looking for a threshold. He's looking for something, some way to get out of loving everybody, right? He's wanting to justify himself. So he says, Jesus, well, who is my neighbor What are we doing to justify ourselves so we don't have to love our neighbors? What are we doing so we don't have to justify ourselves, so we don't have to love the people in the community that our churches are actually in? I personally believe that we are searching to be set free of any responsibility, right? When those people live next door to us that are maybe lesbians or homosexuals, or maybe they don't believe that maybe they're liberals, right? They are just totally don't believe the way we do. Well, Jesus... They're just not a lot like me. I can't really... We're looking to justify reasons to not follow the greatest commandment that Jesus ever gave us. We want to be free from the shame. We want to be free from the guilt of loving our neighbors. We want to, we want to maintain our identity, right? We want to maintain who we are and what, what we're doing. And that's exactly what the lawyer wanted to do. He was trying to maintain his identity. He was trying to maintain his stature in the community of being this guy of knowledge and law. So he says, Jesus, you need to tell me who my neighbors are. Uh, Most scholars would call this question a selective question. Um, It points to the lawyer's true motivations. Uh, He's no longer worried about trapping Jesus. He's no longer worried about, you know, getting Jesus thrown in jail. The lawyer's worried about one singular thing, and that is his survival at this point. Uh, he has this. I can just imagine a, lung, a young lawyer in that time. He probably has his, his clients right, and he's like, I'm going to go show this Jesus guy up. Now it's backfired on him, and he's just trying to survive. He said, Man, my clients are going to leave me. No, I'm going to get thrown out of town. Nobody's going to believe me anymore. He's worried about survival. He's worried about himself. He's worried about keeping his stature as the expert in law. So he's saying, Jesus, tell me who I need to love. But I think more importantly, he's saying, tell me who I don't need to love. That's what he really, that is the point of what he's getting at. Tell me who I don't have to love so I can be free of responsibility, so I can be free of the burden burden moving forward. How many of us ask that same question? God, just show me in our churches who I need to love. And what we're really asking is, show me who I need to love so I don't have to worry about the other people in my community, so again we see Jesus not answering the question right. Jesus doesn't really do that typically. Instead, he just launches into the great story of the parable of the Good Samaritan, um, and I'm not going to rehash that because we're all church folks, uh, but we understand that. But you know, we've got the Levite and the priest. They're going down the road. They both pass. There's this guy. He's been beaten, uh, laying for dead, and then the the just an absolute opposite, a Good Samaritan. Uh, political opposite, uh, military opposite comes by, you know, nurses him back to health, throws him on his donkey, gets him onto the hospital, says, hey, I'm going to cover all your medical bills. I'm going to get you everything taken care of, right? And we don't really know why the priest and the good Samaritan, or the priest and the Levite didn't stop. You know, we all have our theories. I think the priest was probably late for some hospital visits or something like that. Yeah, no. Uh, um, you know, we, we don't really understand why, why these two guys didn't stop. But they did not stop. Uh, so then the Good Samaritan comes, stops, says, I'm going to take care of all of his medical bills. Let's, let's, let's get you going. So that's what Jesus, he's painting this. Obviously, he did a lot better job than I just did. Jesus paints this beautiful picture of this parable of the Good Samaritan. And then he picks back up with the lawyer. So after describing this beautiful picture, Jesus looks at the lawyer. And in verse 36, he, uh, let's see if I can find it here. Verse 36, he says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus paints the beautiful story, and then he says, puts the question back out there. Now, who was the good neighbor here? The lawyer, knowing the answer, because remember, the the lawyer is an answer man. That's what he's paid to do. He is paid to answer questions. He absolutely. He said, hey, I can tell you exactly what it, what, what, which one it was, God. And in picking up verse 37, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, you are correct again. Twice now, Jesus and this lawyer are on the same page, right? Jesus is like, hey, you've got it figured out. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you are correct. We are in total agreement again. But knowing this answer isn't good enough. Look at the rest of verse 37. He said, you go and do likewise. Knowing to love your neighbors is a great thing to know. But if we actually aren't loving our neighbors, we have totally missed the mark. He pushes him past the answer. He pushes him past knowledge, pushes him past words. And he says, if you want to inherit eternal life, you need to go and do likewise. So I ask you again, are we doing that? Are we loving our neighbors? This is the heart of life in faith in Jesus Christ. I know that's not what saves us, but this is should be through our blood. We should be loving our neighbors. If we truly want to inherit eternal life, we should love our neighbors. Jesus is telling the law you're not once but twice in this short passage to put your faith into action and love your neighbor's. Uh, we see it time and time again all throughout the New Testament. Paul was a great uh, example of that. He planted churches on the fact uh, of one of the main lines was you should love your neighbors. In Romans chapter thirteen, verses eight through nine, he said, "If I can get over here to it, O no one anything except love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet." You and any other commandment are all summed up in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul got it. He understood it. Hey, you want to keep the Ten Commandments? I got something better for you. Just love your neighbors. Love your neighbors as yourself. He also tells us in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 14, and this is probably my favorite. It's one that we use a lot at our church because it's just, it's just point blank to, 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 to the word. He says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Hey, if if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to obey Jesus, love your neighbors. Can it be that simple? The question that we're asking now, some 2,000 years later, uh, how are we to love our neighbors? Who are our neighbors? You know, the context from Jesus' day to our day is totally different, right? We don't ride donkeys anymore. We ride cars. We don't walk everywhere we go. We drive everywhere everywhere we go. But what is Jesus getting at in this parable some 2,000 years later? And we don't want to answer this question so that we can become free of responsibility because we don't want to be like the lawyer. We don't want to know the answer so we can feel no responsibility. We just want to understand the answer so that we can truly tap into our potential in Jesus Christ and build relationships. So who is it, Who is our neighbor? Are we to take this story literal? Are we to, every time I get in the car with my family and I see somebody broke down on the side of the road, am I to stop and be a neighbor to those people? Now, smart judgment would say there are times that maybe we should stop and help somebody on the side of the road. But if I have my wife and my kids in the car, I'm not stopping on the side of the road every time. I don't think that's what Jesus is telling us to do, right? He's not telling us to stop on the side of the interstate every time somebody has a flat tire. So is he, are we to take it literal? You know, the man on the road was beaten. He had been pushed away from his family. He, had, he was just broken. As ministers, we have those people that come to our church all the time, right? A lot of times they're asking for money. They need help. They need a bus ticket. Are we to love those people? Is that what Jesus is honing in on? Um, I mean, I think there are times in our ministry when we should absolutely help those people. But I don't think that's really what Jesus is talking about. Or is it truly what we teach our kids in children's church, that we are to love everybody, love every single person in this world? I think there's a lot of truth to that, too. But I really don't think... That's what Jesus is getting at. Sometimes I wonder if what Jesus really meant by this elaborate parable in this process was if we are to love the people that already carry the name and title of neighbor in our lives. What if we are truly supposed to love our neighbors, the people that live next door to us, the people that live directly around us, What if this story is really that simple that we are just to love our neighbors? You know, the people that we pass by every single day, the people that we see more than the people we see at church, the people that in my neighborhood on Sunday nights, we roll our garbage cans to the curb together, the people that we walk dogs with, the people that uh, we play football with, the people that that we walk around the neighborhood with. What if that is who Jesus is talking about that we are supposed to love with all our might and with all our heart. Sometimes we see these people five, six, seven, eight times a day, and we don't even stop and say hello to them. If if your neighborhood's like mine, it's like a race to get in the garage, right? Man, you, you will see people's garage doors opening before you even see their cars, right? It's like, whoop, garage doors up, boom, man, and shut the garage door. Maybe you guys don't live like that where you're at. That's how it is where, where we live in our neighborhoods, right? People are just, man, garage up, garage down, boom, you don't see them till work tomorrow morning, right? I don't think that's how life is supposed to be lived. What if Jesus is pushing us to realize that the road that cuts through eternal life actually leads directly through your neighborhood? How many of us would be succeeding in life? How many of us have churches, and I don't. I'm, my goal is not to step on toes. I just want to help you guys realize what we realized at Summit Church. What if your church is in a location where you have nobody that comes to your church from the neighborhood that your church is actually located in? I believe we will give an account to that to Jesus when we answer to Him. If our church is in a community and nobody from that community goes to our church, we are not loving our neighbors very well. And I'm afraid we have too many Free Baptist churches doing that. What if Jesus really meant what He said, we should love our neighbors? Are we going to do that? That is something that is a central part of our ministry at Summit Church in Missoula, Montana. Um, It's not in our DNA, it is our DNA. That's what we exist to do. We exist to love our neighbors. Um, It's how our young church was born. We've been planted now about three and a half, four years. Uh, Dad has recently moved onto the church property because we have a parsonage. Uh, But before that, he lived in a neighborhood in town, I lived in the community that our church is actually in. I think you guys had seven houses on your block? Correct. They have seven houses on their little neighborhood. I had fifty houses in my neighborhood. At any given time, there were four people from their from their little neighborhood coming to our church, and at my and in my neighborhood right now, we have seven people coming out of our neighborhood uh, to our church. And I'm not saying that like in a braggadocious way. I'm just saying we are convicted about loving our neighbors. When you parachute into a community where you absolutely know nobody, the easiest people to begin ministering to are those in your neighborhood we teach this class uh, not quite like this but we teach the art of neighboring class once a year in our church Um, it is it is like a uh, new beginners class you might say because we want our people to be passionate about loving their neighbors we say hey you can get a lot of stuff wrong but what Jesus tells us we cannot get wrong is the fact that we have to love our neighbors where they're at whoever they are um, so I want, I want to kind of walk you guys through some of this stuff. The authors of these books were captured by this idea from the story of the Good Samaritan. They're like, okay, <clears throat> there's this story of the Good Samaritan. So as the Christian church, we should be nationally known as being good neighbors. Uh, so the authors of these book, this book, are uh, their pastors in Denver, Colorado. They gathered up 20 other pastors from Denver, and they said, hey, we're going to meet with the mayor of Denver. And the fact that we should be, the greatest commandment is, is to love your neighbors. Our community should be known for loving their neighbors, right? That's what we should be known for. We should be known as being good neighbors. Uh, so they begin meeting, and they, they invited the, uh, the mayor in, and they said, Mr. Mayor, if, as a group of believers, as this church, as the global church, what can we do to clean our city up? How can the church... Help you guys? How, how can that church help the city succeed moving forward? And this is what the mayor said. This is a quote. He said, The majority of the issues that our community fa- is facing today would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. That's what a liberal mayor said in a liberal city that does not know Jesus as his Lord and Savior. What does he do? He gets in, a group, uh, gets in a room with a group of pastors, and what does he do? He points them back to Jesus. How amazing is that? This liberal mayor got it when all these pastors in the room weren't getting it. A man who doesn't even profess Jesus Christ is telling this group of pastors to love their neighbors, to love their neighbors. Jesus is pointing us to love our neighbors. It doesn't matter if they're homosexuals. It doesn't matter if they're atheists, if they're Buddhist, if they're what we call in Montana, Trumpers or never Trumpers. That's kind of how people are referred to in Montana. Um, The commandment does not change. Jesus doesn't care who you have living beside you. You are to love your neighbors. And and I want to say something that may offend you or may step on your toes, and I know that because it offended me deeply. We wonder why our churches aren't growing. We wonder why our churches become stagnant when we don't even know our own neighbors. Why would God bless my church when I can't even tell people next door living to me about the risen Savior, Jesus Christ? God has given us a mission field, and I believe it's our neighborhoods. It's where we call home. It's where we do life with our kids. It's where we do life with our family. How is He going to entrust me with more at church when I can't even take care of the business that he's set right before me. We have to be good neighbors. We have to love our people. And I realize a lot of us here in this room this morning are in church leadership, so we probably are generally good neighbors. But globally as the church, as the Christian church in America, are we good neighbors? Uh, the authors of this book set out, I don't think I have one. You guys have the grid, right? Everybody's got the grid. Um, so this is one of the tools they came up with. So they spent two and a half years, uh, th- there's a huge network of people now called the Art of Neighboring Network, uh, and they spent two and a half years traveling all across America. And they went from church to church, and they took this grid with it. And it's pretty self-explanatory. It's got the house in the center. That's where, that's where you're at. Thank you, Kenny. Okay. That's, that, that's you. You guys are the house in the center. And I realize my neighborhood looks nothing like this. Your neighborhood probably looks nothing like this. But you understand the gist of it. Um, and before you start giving excuses, we hear the excuses all the time in Montana. Like, oh, well, I live on a ranch. My neighbors are two miles down the road. What'd you call them? <laughs> neighbor? Well, there you go. It do, there's no, like, it doesn't matter what's going on here. It's, if they're your neighbor, they're your neighbor. So it's got A, B, C. So these guys set out... Uh, to, to go across the nation figuring out just how well as Christians we are neighboring. So, And I want to ask you to fill this out right now. I wish we had time to do it because it's, it's a blast. Um, so A stands for this. A is their name. I encourage you to know your, your neighbor's first name. Now, I realize we're in the south. Um, in Montana, it's not a big deal. They don't like being called Mr. and Mrs. I all the time get in trouble for calling people Mr. and Mrs. in Montana. Uh, but I think it's important to know somebody's first name because that's a relational step, right? If I'm always like Mr. Gates instead of Mr. Dennis, that's just relational. So A is their names. You should know their first names. B is something that I can see from the road, but I don't know. Like you don't have to know them at a, on a personal level, but you can tell it from the road. So let me give you an example. Um Bill would be this guy's name. Bill's for A, Bill's his name. Something that I can see from the road, B is he's a Canadian, because he's always flying his Canadian flag. He's always wearing Canadian t-shirts. Like you can tell. You don't have to enter into conversation with him at all to realize he's a Canadian. So over the course of getting to know him, what I realized about C was one of the reasons Bill was such a bitter Canadian was the fact that his daughter has been dying of brain cancer for four and a half years in Wichita, Kansas. Now, you don't see that from the road at all. We can tell that B, we can tell that Bill is a bitter Canadian from the road. Like, you don't have to enter into conversation to figure that out. But as you get to know them, you begin figuring out things about them, why they do the things that they do. So that's how the ABC process works. A, their name. B, something that you can see from the road. And then C, something that actually like makes them tick, makes them work. Uh, so a- a- as-, as these guys, as the authors of this book went through this process traveling across America, what they found out is 10% of Christians in America can fill out the letter A on this card. 10% of Christians can fill out the letter A. 3% can fill out line B. And less than 1% can fill out ABC on this card. 1% of Christians cannot fill out this card. And we wonder why our churches aren't growing. We're not being neighbors. We are not getting out and telling people about Jesus. Jesus did not push us once, but he pushes us twice in the matter of about 15 verses to go and do I'm sure the Christians that were asked these questions knew that you're supposed to love your neighbor. Remember, we teach our children this every Sunday in junior church, we church, children's church, whatever you call it. We're always pushing our kids to love our neighbors, love everybody. But do they actually go and do? The first time I went through this exercise, I found myself getting very defensive very quickly. We had just moved to Montana. We were trying to figure out exactly how we were going to get our hold. How are we going to plant a church here? And I found myself so busy saying, oh, well, God, God I got two kids here. Like at the time they were five and six. I, I'm coaching YMCA basketball. I, I'm running for the local city council in my town. God, we got groceries in the car. And the whole time Jesus said, hey, your neighbor's out. He's mowing his yard. Your neighbor's out. Well, Jesus, I, I, I let me get these groceries in, and then if he's, if, if he's still mowing his yard another two hours, I'll go talk to him, right? That's, 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 that's how it was work. That's how it was working. I have dinner to cook. God, I'm a pastor. I'm a church planner. Do you know how busy I am? Then I realized something. I was just like the Levite and the priest. I was walking down that road. Jesus gives me an opportunity to minister, and I said, I don't have time to stop and help. What are we doing? What are we doing in our ministry? If our ministry just can consist of going to church on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, we are missing the mark. I attempted to justify myself. I I said, I don't have all the answers. I I justified myself. I didn't want to be held to the standard of the great commandment. God, I've only lived here six months. How could I know all my neighbors? These standards aren't for me. And then I realized in that moment, and I will never forget this moment, I hope the rest of my life. Not only did I sound like the priest and the Levite, now I sound like the lawyer. I don't, I cannot be held to those standards, Lord. I absolutely cannot. Looking for a way to just not be held to the greatest commandment that Jesus has ever given us. I mean, after all, we're all all in leadership in the room this morning, right? We're in ministry, we're actively, whether you carry the title of pastor. Uh, if you're here at the National, you are actively serving in your Free Old Baptist churches. We're all ministers. Whether you carry the title of a minister or not. How could we possibly have time to minister to our neighborhoods? We're busy people. That was the priest's excuse. I, I really believe that's probably the priest's excuse. You know, I, I got my flock to tend to. I got people to visit in the hospital. I've got things to do. Those people pay tithes. This guy, I don't even know who he is. Maybe, maybe we're just scared of the unknown when it comes to knowing neighbors. I will tell you that getting to know your neighbors is a scary process. And, and, I, and I don't mean like getting to know them like all surface level. I mean getting to know them. You know what Kim and I and mom and dad have figured out? People are messy Man, they are messy people. They have a lot of baggage, right? I mean, you guys know that. You're in ministry, you know that. You start and and, and what Kim and I've realized is it's like, oh Lord, maybe we shouldn't have got to know these people. (laughs) You know, you make the problem worse, right? You're like, at least before it was just a safe distance. Now it's like, now it's gonna be even more awkward because we really know them. But yet Jesus is telling us to push past our schedules, to push past our fears, if that's fears. And to do this one thing, love our neighbors. So after reading this book, after preparing to go through a study with our small group, uh, Kim and I drastically changed how we did life in our neighborhood. Um, the way our neighborhood is, is our, our house is, excuse me, we have a beautiful backyard. Like our front yard is kind of small and weird. It's odd shaped. But in the backyard, we had a little garden. We have a trampoline. Uh, We had our ducks. That's where we kept our pet ducks back there. We had these huge mature oak trees with lots of shade. We have a fire pit. Our our backyard was our favorite thing about our house. Like that was one of the reasons we picked the house that we did. Because we're like, we have this beautiful backyard where we can hang out in the evenings and just after a long day of doing whatever pastors do, we could just come home and relax. But do you know what a backyard does not have? Neighbors. That's right. It does not have neighbors. So after reading this book, I'm so convinced. I'm like Kim, we can't go to the backyard anymore. We have to go to the front yard. And she looks at me like I'm absolutely nuts. She's like, yeah, our front yard's tiny. So we decided, okay, hey, tomorrow morning, or tomorrow afternoon, when people start getting out of work and the kids are out in the yard, we are going to the front yard. Now I will tell you, it was weird at first because I was just dumb and I took my camping chair and I literally just sat in the middle of my front yard. And people were, I'm sure people were just thinking like, what is this guy doing? Uh, he is nuts. So after a couple days with some guidance from kids, she's like, maybe let's scoot back onto the front porch and kind of play it cool a little bit here, not be so eager to meet people. Um, so we made this decision. We, we go to the front yard and do you know what we realized? People walking their dogs started waving at us. Kids riding their bikes started seeing our kids. People mowing their yard stopped mowing their yard and waved at us. We became very approachable. Colton and I would be playing football in the front yard, throwing the football. People would come by, father, son, hey, let's, let's, can we toss the football with you guys? People became very approachable. The first two converts we had at our church started by saying, hey, I see you and Kim sitting in your front yard all the time. Do you think it would be okay if we brought our camping chairs and sat in the front yard with you tomorrow night? Yeah, let's go, right? You like you got to you got to temper the excitement. Uh, I told Kim we felt like Barney and Andy sitting on the front porch after Sunday Sunday sermon because you know these we're in our thirties, they're in their seventies, and it's just kind of like well, what are you gonna do tomorrow, Barney? You know, I mean, that's really strange conversations. But they are some of our most faithful members at our church now because we became approachable. We became approachable. We began learning about our neighbors. I wish I would have brought it, but I didn't. I have a file of our neighborhood. And Kim thought I was a little weird because I was always taking notes about people. But I was like like a private investigator. Like any time I learned something about somebody, I'm taking notes because I can't remember stuff sometimes. And I wanted to learn about people. I wanted to know what they did. So when they opened up and began having conversations with people, I, I was able to answer them like I truly loved them. Because that's what Jesus did. He got to know them because he loved them. Not because they're interesting or cool, because he loved them. Uh, one of the things that we did a lot was, and Kim said I was a bad person for doing this, but um, Dennis across the street, he has all kinds of tools. So I would always be going over and asking him to borrow tools and Kim say, what's wrong, what's, what's broken? Nothing. Well, why are you borrowing a tool? Just because I need an excuse to go see him. <laughs> so we would, I'd go borrow a, a ratchet or something and I'd come back and she'd be like, don't you have that same exact thing in the garage? Yeah, I do. What are you fixing? Nothing. I'm going to return it in about an hour. I just wanted an excuse to get to know my neighbors. Because that's what Jesus has commanded us to do. He wants us to love our neighbors. To be intentional with loving our neighbors. We started walking in our neighborhoods every evening. Not because, I mean, I'm sure we did need to exercise, but that was not the motive. We just wanted to become accessible to our people. We wanted to meet people. Um, We started talking to our neighbors about fertilizer and things that we had absolutely no interest in. How do you cut your yard? Do you use Kentucky Blue 31 or do you use, you know, 5555-1 fertilizer? I, I was making stuff up most of the time that I did not know anything about. But we began getting to know our neighbors. Why? Because Jesus commanded me to love my neighbors. And I realize if you go preach the gospel at your neighbor you're probably not going to make a lot of headway. I'll give you one example. Um, and this gentleman and his wife are not believers yet. They do not attend our church. But directly next to us, uh, they are absolutely party animals. And I don't mean have a casual beer here and there. I mean, every day he's coming in with a 12-pack of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer on his motorcycle. Every single day. Um, he is the manager of Western day, West, Western Montana Harley-Davidson. Uh, so this guy have Him and I have absolutely zero, zero things in common in life other than the fact that we both breathe air. That's about the only thing we have in common. He doesn't like sports. I love sports. He loves motorcycles. I have no desire to get on a motorcycle. He loves beer. I don't drink, right? So, I mean, there's just no correlation here. And I was like, Lord, how can I I minister to this guy? How can I let... He knows I'm a pastor because we have a mutual friend. So there's that wall. Pastors in the room, you know how that is, right? There's this wall you got to tear down before you can even make any headway. Um, So one day I just walk up and I say, hey, I am an absolutely novice when it comes to motorcycles. He's like, oh, yeah. He's like, what do you know? I'm like, absolutely nothing. Like, literally, I know nothing about motorcycles. But I say, hey, I'm willing to learn if you'll teach me. You know what he said? Pull up a chair. Now, we only talk about motorcycles. That is it and Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. I'll, I, I have literally Googled, like, facts about Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer to be like, hey, did you know this? Did you know when it was, they started making Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer? Blah, blah, blah. But you know what? When I give an account to the Lord... I can say, God, I made an honest effort to get to know my neighbor. I may not win him, but Kim, two and a half years ago, we got a call that she had cancer uh, at Christmas time. Do you know who the first person that reached out to us was? Not family, not because mom and dad didn't love us, just because it took a minute. When it first came down the pipe that we had got a call that she had cancer, our neighbors were on our front doorstep somebody who we have nothing in common with, they do not love Jesus Christ, but because we had invested in them, they cared about what was going on in our lives. That lets us know we're making a difference. It's not the hoorah story of he accepted Jesus and we get to baptize him on Sunday. But you know what? We're making ways. We're planting seeds. We may never get to see that seed come to fruition, but it's our prayer that someday somebody will. So what are we doing about it? Are we loving our neighbors? I can't tell you how many times um, we have come home, or I should say I've come home. I don't stay home ever because you don't, you don't get to know people staying in your house. I'm always out just walking around, getting to know people in town, and I'll come home after a long day of doing something, whatever it may be. Kim, Kim questions me sometimes. Uh, and, and I'll pull in the driveway, and I'll see bicycles out front, and I'll see shoes at the front porch, and I think, oh. Kim who's in our house like it's five o'clock I'm hungry and I open the door we live in a split level house so like instantly you either go up or you go down and I'll get on get in the house and I'll hear laughter and people talking I'm like who is that what neighbor's over right now and I'll take my shoes off I'm walking up the stairs and I'm sitting here thinking I wish she would just shut up and send them on the way right I mean I'm just being honest I just want to be in my sanctuary I want to be in my home right I smell the coffee brewing we're huge coffee people some other coffee making, bacon, and then I'll get up to the top of the stairs and I'll turn and look in our living room and people look at you and they are so excited to see you and be a part of your life. And you realize in that exact moment, at least for me, I realize in that exact moment that I may be the only Jesus that they ever get to see. And you know what? I can be tired. I can sleep tomorrow. When in all honesty, I just want to take my shoes off. I want to lay on the couch, right? You want to put the TV on. I want to catch a Cardinals game. I try to watch the Cardinals every night before I go to bed, right? I just want to watch my Cardinals game. But there are people in our living room that we need to love. Or the kids do it all the time. Our kids are—they're the best little church planners anybody could have. Uh, they, they will bring people over. Dad, can they come for dinner? Mom, can they come for dinner? Oh, that means we've got to sit at the table tonight and eat dinner like a family. Oh man. Yeah, I'm just being real, right? But they're always having kids in our home, because that's what being a good neighbor is all about. Do you guys know in America, nobody has people over their home anymore. It's an anomaly. We invite people to our home, and they're like, "Where are we going?" No, 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 no. you don't understand. Like, we're going to make you dinner. I'm going to grill cheeseburgers. We're going to eat in your house. Yeah, we're going to eat in our house. Food is the way to people's hearts. Love on your neighbors. Invite them into your homes. Our churches are absolutely zero different. I hit on it a little bit while ago, and we've got about 10 minutes left. If your church is in a neighborhood where nobody from that neighborhood comes to your church, there needs to be red flags going up. There needs to be something in your heart and in your soul saying why are we not reaching our neighborhoods why are we not reaching our community Um, we have been absolutely just blessed by a lot of you in the room actually uh, that have supported us throughout our ministry and we were able to buy a church building on a four-lane highway where 30 or 25,000 cars pass every single day we just have a beautiful location Um, and after after buying the location I'm serving on our local community council I ran for election that was just a, a, a moment of dumb neglect on my part i would not recommend that for anybody um, <clears throat> so i'm on this little community council and we're pastors in our community now um, and because we've just bought this church building but coming before the community council that i'm the treasurer of is this local marijuana plant so in montana marijuana is legal recreational drug uh, medical it's fair game it's completely legal so uh, they, they say you know there's a group of seven people on this board me and one other guy are conservatives the others are just like staunch liberals Anything liberal, therefore. So marijuana, no, oh, let's go. Let's get it done. So they say, so these guys come before us and present this um, marijuana place called Bloom Network, Bloom Marijuana Network. And they say, we have to get permission from you guys. We're like, why do you guys need permission from us? It's, it's legal in Montana now. Well, Montana law, dot, 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 dot. Within so many yards of a church, you have to have permission from the local community council. <laughs> Wonder what church that's going to be. Sucks for them. Uh, what church is this? Uh, Summit Free Will Baptist Church in Lolo, Montana. Oh, man. And, you know, all six people on the board just... look at They're like, over to you, pastor. And they all said, Pastor, this affects you the most. Even though they're liberals, they still... Like, we had friendships. They respected me. They said, this is on you, man. This is 100% your decision. What? So Dad and I talked a little bit, and it's like, we can't be those people. Like, we're not going to be that guy that stops a legal company from coming in. Even though we 100% disagree with it, we're not gonna stop them from coming in. So yeah, uh, okay, like we're not gonna stop it. We're not gonna prove it, but we're not gonna stop it either. So these guys come in, um, and would you know, we have these black and orange feather flags all, we have like a quarter mile of road frontage. Um, And they have about an eighth of a mile of road frontage. We have black and orange feather flags all out front. They have black and green feather flags all out front. So it's just, it's a nightmare. It's a logistical nightmare. So they got, these guys have been in our neighborhood, our church neighborhood, for a couple months. And one day, our greeters come. Our greeters kind of let us know when first-time guests come so that we can, either dad or I, can go and make sure we introduce ourselves before or after church. Uh, hey, Pastor Josh, there's a young man. He walked to church. His name's David. Okay, I'm going to get over and meet him. Hey, David, great to have you. David's late 20s. Um, so glad you're here. You know, let us know if we can ever do anything. Comes back next week. Hey, Pastor, David's here again. Hey, Pastor, just want to let you know, David walked to church. So I don't know if you want to. I was like, okay, I'll see if he needs a ride after church. Maybe I can give him a ride wherever he needs to go. Uh, so Dad or I once said, hey, David, can we give you a ride after church? No, 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 I'm good, I'm good. So I'm greeting at the door after church on Sunday. That second Sunday, hey, David, I noticed you, you walked to church. Can I please give you a ride somewhere? No, I, I just live right there. And he points in a direction. Where the Bloom Shop is, and there's no houses. I say that's weird. Where there's no houses over there, David. Where you sure you live that way? He said, Yeah, yeah. He said I, I live above the Bloom Shop over there. I said, Oh, they have an apartment or something over there? Yeah, yeah. They have an apartment. I live in the apartment above the Bloom Shop. Oh, do you like rent it from them or something like that? You, you could say that. You could say that. What 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 does that mean, David? He said well, I'm part owner, and he said I'm the he's I'm the grower for Bloom Network oh okay okay fast forward 10 months david is our most faithful church member at summit church now some two years later he's rededicated his life for the lord he's running our sound he sold his half of the bloom marijuana network not once because dad or i clayton or i said hey you should not do this because this is wrong not once did we preach on marijuana is wrong The Holy Spirit convicted David. And he said, i got to get out of this. I've got to get out of living in sin. He took a job making way less money at a body shop, beating out bumpers for a living. But he is so happy and he is so faithful serving God. So I challenge you this morning, love your neighbors wherever they are. One of the things that loving our neighbors has done is it has enabled us uh, to enter into new networks that we could have never gone to. By loving on Dennis, by loving on Linda, by loving on Bill, it's getting me indoors doors that I could have never never gotten in. Uh, and, and in one of the things that we did, we spent uh, probably too much money I know Dad would tell you we spent too much money. We spent a lot of too much money on getting to know our neighborhoods when we first arrived. We, we did research after research. I would recommend doing the Free Will Baptist one for $100. It's phenomenal. Uh, we've done that one multiple times. Uh, we, we literally spent thousands of dollars knowing our community. But I can tell you without a doubt, the best way to know your community is by loving your neighbors. Because when you love your neighbors they let you know who your community really is. So you guys all got a sticker, right? Everybody got a sticker? So one of the things that we begin doing when we begin loving our community is we begin narrowing down who it was we're supposed to... Who are we called to love, right? Now, God called us to love everybody. And I realize there's this idea that we should reach all the lost. And the global Christian church should reach all the lost. But I can... And I don't want to step on your toes, but I can tell you, if your church is trying to reach your whole community, you're probably missing all of your community. So what we kind of came up with is aim small, miss small. In Montana, they're big about hunting. I I get to go uh, shoot archery with some of my friends at church. And when they, 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 they go elk hunting a lot. And you guys know these elk are massive animals, huge animals. But did you know to kill an elk, you have to hit a spot like this big with a bow and arrow? If you shoot him in the rear end, you know what that arrow's going to do? He's going to run and run and that arrow's going to fall out. When we try to reach the entire community with our church, I'm afraid far too often we miss the entire community. So what we kind of adapted, what we came up with is this idea of aim small, miss small. As a church, we need to aim small to this people that we're trying to reach so that we miss small. We talk about it in our staff meetings. Hey, aim small, miss small. Who are we trying to reach? Are we trying to reach man or the woman? The men are the most unchurched people group in America. Okay, we want a man church. So we want to reach the men because we realize if you reach the dad, 80% of the family is going to follow the dad where they go, right? So, okay, we want to be a man church. Well, specifically, what type of man do we want to reach? We want to reach the outdoor man because we're in Montana. Everybody hikes, hunts, fishes. So we need to reach the rugged outdoor man. So we begin narrowing this list down. And ultimately what we narrowed it down to is who you have on that sticker, and that is Granola Greg. Granola Greg is Summit Church, and Summit Church is Granola Greg. Granola Greg is somewhere between 30 to 60. Granola Greg is gonna work, most likely work two jobs, because when hunting season comes around, when fishing season comes around, when pretty much the sun comes up and it's not sowing comes around, um, Granola Greg is gonna be in the outdoors granola greg averages 2.25 kids Um, granola greg is a family man he loves his family Uh, they're just like in your communities they're avid about sports they're avid about their kids granola greg respects the position of a pastor but granola greg does not want to submit to the pastor granola greg tells us if i have been told once i have been told a thousand times pastor josh I worship Jesus in the outdoors. If you get me up in the mountains, that is where I truly connect with God. While we realize there's probably... I can can make that work in my world too. I can go stand on a beautiful mountain and say, man, God, you're an amazing... this amazing piece of work. But that's not what Granola Greg's getting at. Granola Greg's saying, hey, I don't have time to come here about your Jesus Christ. That is who we're trying to minister to. Now, obviously... On a Sunday morning, we do not get up and talk about Granola Greg, but we talk about Granola Greg every staff meeting we have. Everything we do, we put it through our core values, and then we put it through Granola Greg. When we have our planning meetings, we have core values on the wall and then Granola Greg on the wall. Okay, how is this, this going to affect our core values? How is this going to affect Greg? Is Greg going to feel comfortable coming to something like this? Because Greg is who we are called to minister to at Summit Church. I can tell you, uh, dad and mom and Kim make fun of me. I've gone to the extent that the men's bathroom is decorated for Granola Greg. Because I want everything we can do to ease Granola Greg's levels and anxieties, just make him more comfortable when he comes to church. We have a better shot at penetrating his heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have Granola Gregs in your community. You may have Billy Basses or whoever you want to come up with, right? Uh, you know, this is, this, is no, this is no new thing. Um, Saddleback came up with Saddleback Sam some 30 years ago, Rick Warren did. But I encourage you to know who you are reaching in your community. If your church says, I'm trying to reach my whole town, I'm afraid we miss our whole town. In closing, I'll tell you, Missoula County has 120,000 people in it. Uh, from studies that have been done, 92% are unchurched. A local pastors group that I'm in, we've kind of done our own, own studies. We, we think it's somewhere around 95% of the community do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If Dad and I tried to reach some 115,000 people while we're ministering in Missoula, we're going to fall flat on our face. We're not going to be able to do it. But if we can hone in to ministering and trying to reach Granola Greg, we feel that we will be far more successful in truly loving our neighbors.